Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. What a beautiful time of year as we reflect on our Savior. And our text today is about the Samaritan woman, and this is also pointing to the Messiah. And John writes in his book that that's why he wrote the book of John, that uh, would point us to the Messiah. And so you can open your Bibles to John chapter 4, and there's a bulletin uh, that has an outline on it as well. I've taken the theme of water. If in the first 15 verses, the word water or well or thirsty is mentioned about 20 times. And so that's uh, what I've chosen as my theme. And you can see on the back of the, your bulletin, uh, the title of the message is The Lessons of the Water. Everyone who thirsts may come. I'm sure you've heard of dehydration, and I never worried about this when I was younger, but it seems like if I work very hard now, I start getting a headache, and people tell me, you've got to drink more water, drink more water. And somebody said, you've got to drink like eight glasses a day. And so I try to count coffee, but my wife says, no, you can't count coffee. That doesn't work. That actually makes it worse. And so, um, but this is, if you think about the context of Israel, uh, much of Israel is a desert, and so I think for us in Washington, we, we have so much rain, we maybe don't appreciate water quite as much as they did over there, and so this is something to uh, keep in mind, and I think Jesus is using, you know, literal water uh, to teach a message about spiritual water, right, so he's taking something physical to teach us something about spiritual things, and so kind of broken it up, and what I'm going to do is, uh, when I get to verse 27, I'm just going to read it line by line and make a few comments so I can finish out the story without uh, running us too late. So, but this is our first point here, from literal water to spiritual water. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so the first point I want to make here is that Jesus was thirsty, it says. And so we often are reminded that Jesus was fully human, but this is something that uh, makes that clear. And the reason I think this is important to us is because when we feel weakness, thirsty or wearied, we can pray and we know that Jesus can identify with that because he had that in his own body. And so that's important. And I was thinking um, of the song, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus in the third verse. It says, 
Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And so when you're weak, uh, go to him in prayer and remember that he knows our weaknesses. And then in verse 9, it says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And here we have to just step back into this culture and realize that in, in our culture, it's hard for us to believe this, but in that culture, they, they didn't, the men didn't speak to the women in public. And I was, as I studied this, I think this was a rule the Pharisees came up with, and they came up with a lot of rules, but I think part of their thinking was of, of gossip or something like that. And so that was one reason why it was a shock that, this, that Jesus would uh, break this custom. And another reason was there was a lot of bad blood, I would say, between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so I just jotted down a few reasons why here. And one was they intermarried with non-Jews. And we know from Scripture they were not to marry with the nations around them. And so they were called half-breeds. And then also they built their own place of worship uh, at Mount Gerizim. And this is, has a connection to Abraham. And the reason they didn't get the message, so to speak, about Jerusalem is because they only uh, would take the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and they didn't, they didn't uh, embrace the rest of the Bible. I don't know why, but obviously for the rest of the, of the Old Testament, we see that Solomon was, was um, called to build God's temple, right, in Jerusalem. And so that's why they, they, this question will come up here too later on about where to worship and then uh, a Jewish king uh, destroyed the Samaritan temple and another time in history the Samaritans defiled the Jewish temple during Passover by scattering dead men's bones in it and then there was another time in history where Jewish rebels burned Samaria and so it's no wonder that they uh, hated each other because of those things and so we see that now the table is turned. Jesus was speaking about her thirst, and he had the water. Isn't that interesting how it starts out with about literal water, and now Jesus is using this to teach her. And it says in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you, given you living water. Jesus was offering living water for her dry soul. And so the next uh, slide we have here, we're going to read, uh, do this, verses 11 and 12. And this question comes up, are you greater than our father Jacob? The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And we have to remember that Jacob was revered. Obviously, Jacob uh, was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so for the Samaritans and the Jews, they traced their heritage to Jacob, and he was revered. And um, it's interesting to note that this well is still uh, working today, uh, 4,000 years later. And I learned that it's uh, 7 feet wide and 106 feet deep. And so that's quite remarkable in and of itself that uh, I'm 
a number from our church are going to Israel, and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm f- thinking maybe I'm going to get a drink of water out of Jacob's well. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, uh, but obviously the living water is far greater than the, even the water from Jacob's well. But clearly the woman does not understand who Jesus is, for then she would understand that Jesus is far greater than Jacob. So now we move on to the next couple verses. Water to quench the parched soul. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so, obviously, she still isn't getting the message, is she? She's just not making the connection. Um, She's still thinking of literal water. And so, uh, this idea of spiritual water, the Holy Spirit uh, dwelling in believers, a person's deepest longing is to know God personally. um, And that only through our relationship with God will that be satisfied. And so, moving to the next couple verses here, two things needed to be addressed. And I think uh, she obviously wasn't getting the message that Jesus was talking about this living water and indeed uh, was presenting himself as the Messiah. Messiah. And so, we read here, uh, we're going to have two parts here, her sin and his identity. And so, We read here, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. That's the woman's reply. And so it's amazing that Jesus would put his finger on her sin. And... I just want to bring out this context a little bit. And earlier, I passed over verses uh, 6. If you have your Bibles, you can look that up. Um, And it says uh, that uh, she came to draw water about the sixth hour, which is about noon. And so that was not common. They didn't do that. They came in the early morning or later uh, after sunset because it was so hot. And we know that from a couple texts. I won't go there for sake of time, but in Genesis 24:11 and Genesis 29:7 are two examples of that. And and so you have to think a little bit about this woman and her situation. And it was also that common that they came in in a group of women. And so she comes by herself in the heat of the day. And so you have to think about her life, her past. Uh, and the shame that she must have carried with her. And this is uh, the, the clear reason why she came at noon. And so that's an important part of the story. And yet we see that uh, Jesus uh, goes directly to the sin issue, which is quite amazing. And I wrote down here, um, I say all this because of how shocking it must have been when Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. What a loaded question. How she answered would show her true heart. She answered truthfully, yet not totally. 
Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Even when he uncovered the full depth of her depravity, he was still offering the water of life, the offer of living water, Jesus himself. And so we look at uh, his true identity and... So let's read this uh, portion of Scripture, 19 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so think of that finally. He says, I'm it. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that everybody and throughout the Old Testament were always talking about the Messiah was coming. And so he literally says that that I am the one. And One thing about this uh, worshiping spirit and truth, I just wanted to explain that a little bit. And worship must be internal, not external conformity to ceremonies and rituals. It must be from the heart. And the truth part of that uh, text there is that it calls for this heart worship to be consistent with what Scripture teaches and centered on Jesus. And so when we say worship in spirit and truth, Remember, they had the temple. They had a lot of ceremonies. It was different at that time, even though it was still supposed to be from the heart. But today, that's our emphasis, right? We have, uh, we have to, it has to be from our heart when we worship the Lord, not just outward things. And sadly, we as Christians, and sometimes the longer we become a Christian, we can fall prey to some of that, right? Where we just we went to Sunday, checked the box, put money in the collection, checked the box. And our hearts aren't really engaged. And I so appreciated what Glenn shared. Sometimes we, we, the magnitude of what Jesus did and the suffering and stuff, it helps us to, it gets to our heart because we sometimes forget that. We know the gospel message, but we sometimes forget how he suffered. And I wrote down here, Jesus had avoided such a forthright declaration to the Jewish people because of, the crassly political and militaristic expectations they had for the Messiah. They hoped for someone who would lead uh, a revolt to throw off the yoke of the hated Romans. One thing that was interesting, the word he, we see there, um, he ends with, I who speak to you am he. In the original language, the he was not there. And it would read, um, I who speak to you am and we know Pastor had a message uh, a while back about these I am statements. And throughout the Old Testament and the Gospels, we see God referring to himself as I am. And so this is an example of that. 
I who speak to you am. So now we'll move to uh, the next uh, section here. And uh, I call this the, the rest of the story, like uh, Paul Harvey did, remember? The rest of the story. And I wanted to finish out the full story. And so I think what I'll do here from here to the end is just make some comments after I read a line. And hopefully I won't lose my place. But uh, some amazing... Uh, words that we're, we're coming to now. And so it says, just then, his disciples came back, okay? Think about, well, earlier we read, too, that Jesus had to go through Samaria, right? And so when we see had to, well, it was the shortest route, but it was a divine appointment. We talk about divine appointments, right? And so we see here, too, the timing that Jesus came back is remarkable. And I was thinking to myself, Think of if you were this woman and you had all this shame, right? And if Jesus said to you, uh, no, you actually have five husbands, you know, right in front of the other disciples. Think of how shameful that would have been. And so even Jesus' sensitivity struck me that he, the timing that he had it when the disciples came back from buying food in the city was just when he spoke those words that he is the Messiah, right? I am he. And so that is a, a beautiful thing. And I think it's something we can learn from, too, that, you know, um, when we deal with each other, there's a, a sensitivity, and we can do things in private. And that is a much more loving way to help someone to see their sin. And then we read, They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are... Uh, are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And here's some interesting things. Uh, first of all, uh, John, uh, being an eyewitness, uh, he saw that she left the water jar. Just think of that little detail. It's just important to know our scripture that we see those details in there that he must have seen that. And I also think that shows that she was in such a, a hurry. And, and I think we need to remember the water jars weren't just like a little thermos, uh, I don't think, because they used water for bathing and for washing the clothes and everything. And that's why it was a, a fair chore for them to go get water. And so uh, the fact that she, she left that behind, I think she was showed her excitement that she had met the Messiah and that she, was, she believed in the Messiah. And so she went to the town, and I had to look at this. Why does she make it as a question then, can this be the Christ? Well, if you think of her past and the fact that she's a woman in that culture, if she would have told the men, I met the Christ and you need to meet him too, they might have pulled back from that. But I think wisely she puts it as a question, uh, can this be the Christ? And so it says, uh, they w and, and oh, I, just before I move on, uh, you know, think of, uh, we, we have, when you become a member here, you write your testimony, and uh, I think, wow, this is a short testimony, isn't it? Uh, can't, uh, how does she say it here? Uh, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, I don't think that means that every detail of her life was told, but some of the major events in her life, especially the sinful things, um, were brought out and think of this woman with the shame 
Now she goes back and she's declaring to the town even uh, about this man who told. And so I think that she went from shame to excitement and I think that's quite remarkable. And I, I say this a little bit uh, from my own background. You know, I think about sometimes we're so, we, uh, sometimes we say we have skeletons in our closet, right? Most of us have a skeleton or two in their closet. And I know I have some, and I'm not going to share all my skeletons. But I just say, when our testimony can be used for the glory of God, don't be so worried about sharing something that maybe was a sinful struggle you had in your past. Because I think it's a connection we can make with the lost world. Because they have skeletons in their closet just like we do. And so I think that's just another thing we can learn from this woman that she, she could have said, uh, I, I met the Messiah, but boy, I, I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, I just want to pull in and, and, and just, I'm glad I met him. But no, she wanted to tell others. And then we read, they went out of the town and were coming to him. This was talking about the Samaritan people. Um, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And um, a neat thing about that is that for Jesus, a higher priority, um, he must have been hungry by then, but a higher priority was to do God's will. And, I, and this is something I spoke to me, too, because there's times where I have a pretty regiment schedule, okay? I go home early for lunch. I have a short siesta after that. And, uh, and so sometimes if somebody wants to talk or have coffee or whatever, I'm just like, no, i got to go home. i got to stay with my schedule, right? Or in the evenings, uh, you know, I'm busy three nights a week or whatever. I don't want to do another night. But think of Jesus. He put food aside, and he made it a higher priority to do God's kingdom work. And so there's another thing that we can uh, learn from that. So here's the, the remaining verses of our message. And I have one other text I want to just use in our response today. Um, then it goes on to, to read, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I, I tell you, or look, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And this was interesting in the commentaries. If we read the people from town were coming, right? And they, if you've seen some of their clothing is white because it's hot. And so if you could just picture this as perhaps Jesus in a teaching moment said, look, the field is white. It's like a field of wheat, right? These people walking forward in these white clothes. It was like the harvest was coming, right? And so that, that's a beautiful thought. Um, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. This blew me away when I read this. Um, Gathering fruit for eternal life. Have any of you had the privilege of gathering fruit for eternal life? There's nothing more spectacular. And so uh, it's just a beautiful way that it was phrased here. And, and so we'll talk more about that. But um, the, and the, the wages, the receiving wages is the joy, right? Uh, the sower and the reaper may rejoice together, right?
And we know the parable of the lost sheep. Remember that story where he searched for his sheep, he found his sheep. He called his neighbors and his friends, and he said, rejoice with me, right? And so this is, this is the kingdom work that we are involved in. And, and sometimes we don't see when, when a soul is, has been, uh, is reaped necessarily, so to speak. And, um, but we, we just keep sowing, keep sowing. And, and if you have an opportunity to, uh, to reap, in a sense, you, you see that person make that confession, right? That make that confession uh, to follow Jesus, right? Confess their sins and Tom and I had a, had, a, had a neat experience with that, and Tom led him in a prayer, and uh, he was so ready to receive the Lord, and uh, what a privilege, and for Tom and I, man, we, we have that memory, we rejoice in that, we have that experience together, I was a witness to that, and what a beautiful thing, and so uh, we move, read on here, um, um, see where were we? Uh, the reaper uh, may rejoice together, the sower and the reaper. For here the saying holds true: one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Now just think about this: if this doesn't give us confidence to use your testimony. And I was thinking to myself, you know, sometimes there could be a short version or a long version, right? And this would seem to be a short version, but if somebody, if you have an opportunity where you're going out to coffee with somebody and you can really uh, give them the full gospel, uh, that's obviously we'd all love to do that. But there's times where I think it's just a, a short testimony. I'm a Christian, I tell people sometimes, um, because I want them to know that. I want them to, uh, to sort of, as I sometimes say, look up or to, to think about God, that there is a God. And so I think when we think about testimony, there are ways to, to sow seed that doesn't always involve our full testimony. And then we read on, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Well, this is quite remarkable in and of itself because it was already against the custom to drink. Even if they drank from a utensil of a Samaritan, they were considered unclean. And so the fact, think about, have you ever stayed at somebody's house? It's quite personal, right? It just seems like you're, you're in their space. And, and so the fact that Jesus stayed there, and not only Jesus, but the disciples, stayed there for two days, uh, it likely meant they slept in there in somebody's home. And, and so I think that just, again, shows uh, uh, the gospel, you know, going out to the Gentiles. And then it reads on, And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And... That term savior of the world does not occur very often in scripture, but it's a clear uh, pointing that the gospel was not just going to be for the Jews, but would go out to the nations. And uh, I think another thing that, that I caught in that scripture is that 
we give people our testimony, but there's nothing more that I want is when they come, for example, to church and they hear Jesus speak through the preaching of the word. They hear him for themselves, right? So they don't just hear it from me. And so I want to, in our response uh, today, I want to use this text and also talking about water and thirsting. And so the first part is if you're not a believer and in a church this size, we always have to, to put the call out. And this text uh, really hit me hard in that uh, when I read uh, this, this first line, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. Now, you think about this. Uh, he was hated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And so he, he, he stands up and he cries this out. And some of the versions of the Bible would say, with a loud voice, okay? So I'm going to try to do this with a loud voice. And think of your Savior now. He's calling. He make, he's making this call today, okay? And so if you're not a believer, listen. Uh, listen to his call to you today. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And, and so here's a call for if you're not a believer. Um, and, and we could say, well, what is, what is thirsting? And I wrote down, I'm probably... Uh, lost track of my notes here a little bit but but I think there's no satisfaction in the world and so when we think of thirsting we know that uh, God created us to have a relationship with him and so uh, thirsting is is acknowledging that we need a savior and that we are lost without a savior and then he goes on to say whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so there's, uh, in this invitation, there's three points that I would like to uh, talk about here. And this gets into more about what this thirsting is. And so the f there's three points in this invitation. The thirsty ones are those who recognize their spiritual thirst, a longing for peace with God, and a desire for fellowship with God. And I can relate this from my own past when I grew up in a Christian home, but I rebelled against that. And so I, I had a heavy weight of guilt that I carried around. And so I knew that my sin uh, re required uh, punishment and even uh, hell. And so I remember one time I had a car accident uh, when I was drinking and uh, mom is here today. She probably remembers this. But um, so I was in a Volkswagen and they said it rolled like um, twice, but over the course of like 60 feet. And so, but I remember having fear that next day. I didn't even remember anything of going to the hospital, get checked out. I, next day I, was, I felt a little bit sore. But I remember thinking if, if I had died that moment that I I don't know where I would, I, I may have, you know, my understanding was because I committed my life as a child, but I didn't persevere. I wasn't walking with the Lord. So I thought I would, I would have lost my opportunity and spend eternity in hell. So that scared me pretty good. And I just praise God uh, for him bringing me back. <clears throat> so the second point of this invitation is, uh, um, 
if we are to find relief, uh, such individuals must come to Jesus, the only source of living water. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's in John 14, verse 6. And so the last step, and this was kind of interesting when I read this, um, and I'll read what I wrote here. But not all who acknowledge their uh, need and approach him have their thirst quenched. And the rich young ruler, you know the story about the rich young ruler, right? He came and he had a question for Jesus. And, he, and his question was a good question. He says, um, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, right? And if you remember the story, uh, in the end he went away grieving with his thirst unquenched. And the reason was is because he had a lot of possessions, and so Jesus, knowing that that's where his heart was, that's where his trust was, told him that he should sell his possessions. And so he couldn't, he, wouldn't, he wasn't willing to do that. And so, in a sense, he didn't, he didn't have his thirst quenched. So the third step is that we trust in Jesus alone. And this is what I wrote. Only those who receive the living water in Christ are true disciples. The repentance that leads to life and results in the forgiveness of sin involves far more than mere remorse. Those who manifest genuine repentance acknowledge the deep thirst of their personal guilt before holy God, realizing that they can do nothing on their own to avert his judgment that they deserve. We must rely on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as payment for our sins, affirming him to be the only Savior and Lord of our lives. And so the last part of our response is for those of us who are believers. And so I added one verse because it's a beautiful uh, thing. And, and one of the commentaries called that John's footnote about that phrase, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I'll read it from the top and then we'll talk a little bit about that. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is, this is describing us. And so it's good for us before we leave today to reflect, is this talking about you as a believer? Out of your heart is flowing rivers of living water. And now here's John's footnote about what that means. He says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we see here <coughs> that we remember Jesus' ascension hasn't taken place, and Pentecost hasn't taken place, right? So the Spirit has not come yet. But I want to talk a little bit more about this uh, idea of rivers of living water. And um, this, is, this is what we'll uh, close with today. So <clears throat> for uh, you and I as believers have the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And so does this, does this describe you? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So by evangelizing the lost and edifying the saints. Believers are to show the spiritual life within them uh, to spill over and impact those around them. 
And so if you think about, sometimes we say as a channel, right? We're a channel that the Lord has uh, saved us and we, we send out that love to others around us. And so this is an important time to evaluate ourselves and say, um, is this river of living water flowing out of me? And I think it's good for us to think of every person we talk to, they're either a believer or not a believer. And so if they're a believer, we want to build them up, right? And I hope that when you come to me, that you're building me up. I need to be built up. And, and so we do that in the church. And for someone who doesn't know the Lord, we want to be uh, scattering the seed. And so I have a few examples here of ways that we can be this river. And one of the, the ones that came to my mind was uh, a little, uh, uh, my niece, and she's not so little anymore. Her name is Shelby. And she shared on Thanksgiving Day that um, she is adopted, by the way. And, um, and so she shared on Thanksgiving Day, she wanted to get the attention of the whole group. And she had, she had something written, she read it from her phone. And she thanked our family for loving her. Now, in my mind, my brother and his wife did, did the most work, you know what I mean, to have a foster child. And uh, I just am amazed at the love. That's a river. If, if anybody here has a foster child, I mean, that's, that's like a, a big river right there. But, but even just the small ways that our family loved her was, in a sense, that love, that river flowing out, right? And so don't always think of the big ways, but think of the small ways too. And another way I wrote down is teaching the kids, right? Uh, many kids come to know the Lord when they're young. And so this, here's an opportunity for you to be a river in this church by letting God use you in that way. And so that's another example. VBS is coming. We know many people have come to know the Lord in VBS. I see... Uh, Steve with his arm around Jonah, and I know Jonah committed his life to the Lord at VBS, right, Jonah? And so see that? That's a river right there. You can be involved in this river. And then um, another way is uh, giving your testimony. We talked about this earlier. And there's, uh, like I said, this, the short version and the long version. Don't, you know, just be willing to plant seeds, get people to start thinking about God. Talk about creation how spectacular it is what he made and get people to start thinking about him and then uh, I also wrote down uh, uh, doing good deeds with the goal to build up Christians or point to the lost or point the lost to Jesus and um, this is this is the idea of you know good deeds not just for the sake of good deeds okay but for the for a purpose have a purpose and that doesn't mean we always can say, I did this in the name of Jesus Christ. I think if there's opportunity, that's good. But hopefully you'll meet that person again. You'll build a relationship. They'll know that you care and you'll have opportunities. And the last example I'll share before we uh, close in prayer is a gentleman that just came by my place this last week and his wife died of cancer. And so I, have, I had no idea if this man was a Christian, so I just uh, I, I tried to think of something to say. So I said, well, I, I believe, you know, I'm a Christian, and life is short, and, but there is something beyond this life. And then he said to me, 
uh, they were having a memorial service. First thing I said I should say was that I was sorry to hear that his wife had passed away. I didn't want to, you know, to pass that, uh, so I, I should point that out. But then he said to me they were having a, a service at St. James, and so immediately I thought, he has a Catholic background, it seems to me, because they're having a memorial service at St. James. And so, so uh, I invited him to church, and uh, I don't know if he says they're right in the middle of, you know, doing everything with the memorial service, and I said, hey, maybe when things settle down or whatever. But, uh, but I said, some churches are different than others, and I was trying to kind of put out something like, maybe you're looking for something different and he said that the church he came from was a hell and brimstone kind of, which I never thought of as the Catholic church. But, but, but for whatever, uh, I just, you know, I just uh, valued that opportunity that God gave me. And we'll see what God does with it. But there's just another example of just little ways that we try to reach out to people. So um, let's uh, close now in prayer. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we have heard your call, that all who are thirsty are to come to you and drink, Lord. We know that that is a call for those who are weighed down with the burden of guilt and sin, Lord, that they can find relief. They can uh, be certain that if they die today, that they will uh, spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray for any here today that have not made that step in their life, that they would not wait, that even they would come to me after the service, and, and, uh, and I'd be happy to talk more with them about taking that step in their life. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, I just pray that uh, that would describe us, rivers of living water, flowing out of us, Lord. Lord, we, we know we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that it is your Spirit's work in us that would enable us to do that. And so we need to ask you, Lord, for help. Help us be that kind of believer, Lord. And Lord, it's sometimes good for us to ask someone near us, is, is that what my life looks like? A river of living water flowing to others, Lord. And and Lord, we can all grow in this. And so I don't want people to feel weighed down with guilt as they leave today, but I want them to uh, help them, Lord, to just see maybe in a small way they can be a river this week uh, to those around them, to their neighbors or coworkers, Lord, or even uh, helping the, the work in this church, Lord, uh, giving... Uh, for the missionaries work lord that's another way that we can also participate in being a river uh, and reaching out to those around us thank you lord for what took place here today i pray you would uh, bless us lord as we sing this last song in jesus name amen <laughs>